Hey, how are you guys? My name's Pastor Jim, one of the pastors here on the team. So glad to have you guys here worshiping with us. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you tonight excited to be in your presence. God, thank you for the time of worship. We pray that it blessed your name. And God, we come to you now saying, God, speak to us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Strip away things that need to be stripped from our lives. Add in what you want added in, God, what you want us to know. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I don't know if you guys were here on Sunday, but Pastor Derek taught an amazing message. If you haven't heard it, you need to get online and listen to it because it was amazing. And one of the things he said in there kind of just was dropped in my heart that God wanted me to talk about that tonight. And one of the, I don't know if you guys remember, he talked about how people are struggling with different things and we need to remember what we have struggled with and not look down on people because they're going through things. You guys remember that? That's, that's my own paraphrase, but he said that in the message. And so I was praying, oh my God, I know you want me to teach. And so would you tell me, would you show me? And he did. He's always faithful. And he took me to a passage in the book of Isaiah. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit about Isaiah before we get into the, the scripture. You guys know a lot of this stuff, I'm sure, maybe all of it, probably more than me. Uh, it was the first of the major prophets, Isaiah was. He was called a major prophet, not because he was more important than the other prophets, but because of the length of the book of Isaiah. So he's considered a major prophet. Um, and Isaiah is full of prophecy and sort of a dual fulfillment in prophecy. What that means is that prophecy is amazing because God does it. And so it can apply to something in the near future, and it can also at the same time apply to something hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, because God is able to give a message like that that can be interpreted in a dual way. And that's what we're going to see tonight in several places. Not only are there dual interpretations of prophecies, but the book of Isaiah is one that's a little bit difficult to study because it doesn't follow a linear timeline in the book. It skips back and forth from the past to the future, a prophecy, to the present, to the future, to the past. And so it's not always linear. So as you're studying it, you have to be aware, right? And so, for example, it might talk about the people of God and their rebellion against him and the fact that they're going into Babylon in exile. And then it'll skip ahead to a prophecy about the millennial reign. And then it'll go back to talking about the children of Israel again and their sin. And so it makes it for a very unique book. Um, I... Don't know if you realize that people call, Bible scholars call Isaiah the fifth gospel. And the reason they call it that is because it speaks of the coming of Christ over and over again throughout. And so they call it the fifth gospel. And here's something really cool I thought I would show you. It has the same form as the overall Bible. 
Isn't it cool what God, the kind of stuff God does? You guys know that in the Bible there's 66 books, 39 of them are Old Testament, 27 are New Testament. Well, check out Isaiah, 66 chapters, 39 chapters on the law and the government of God, and 27 chapters on grace and the salvation of God. Isn't that interesting? So it's kind of a little microcosm of the same form as the Bible. So God has done so many amazing things through the book of Isaiah. I just wanted to point those things out. So Isaiah starts with a call for people to listen to the voice of heaven, and it ends with a victorious Messiah and instructions to share it with the whole world. And we see three major themes throughout the book of Isaiah. We see the sin and the rebellion of the people of God. We see that it is indeed against God. He's the one spurned by his very own children. And the third thing is that God always intended to bless the world with a Messiah through Israel. And that that Messiah comes as an answer to sin, and he was to suffer and finally to reign supreme over all the nations and throughout eternity. So those three themes are just present in the book of Isaiah. And the particular portion of Scripture that we're going to discuss tonight really is directly speaking about the millennial reign, but also speaking about the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ as he was on this earth. So what we see is that this Messiah, this anointed one, has come to receive the outcast and bring them into belonging. Now, I don't know if you ever feel like an outcast. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. I don't know if you ever feel other than other people. But Jesus, the Father God, and Jesus had a special place in their heart for the outcast. And so it's amazing to me that we as a church work so hard to look like we have it all together. We look so hard to pretend there's nothing wrong. And yet, we're all, we're all waging war against sin. We're all trying to follow after Christ more. And we're all in need of a Savior. Let's read Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So remember what's going on with Israel right now. At this time, they were devastated. 
Life as they knew it had changed drastically. Many of them were scattered or taken into captivity. Sin had devastated them, their own sin. And I just want to point out that that is the condition of the world. Since the fall, sin has devastated mankind. Sin has ransacked humanity, and it has affected even creation. We read about that in Romans. So sin had devastated the children of Israel, and in order to combat this thing with sin, not just for the children of Israel, but for all of us, the Messiah, the Anointed One, would come as an answer to that sin, as a way to set us free, not just forgiven, but free from the power of sin. Only God could do that. Only God could do that through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we know from the New Testament and from our personal experience that Jesus is that Messiah. I, I want to just tell you, you know, about the dual prophecy thing. Um, this is really speaking about the millennial reign. And you're going to see that in a moment. What's the millennial reign? You guys remember that God created the earth, fall, the fall happened, sin came into the world, his children and others rebel against God. Even though he blessed his children immensely, they were never happy. They wanted their own way. And what we see is for thousands of years, God was patient, long-suffering, and warned them that they would be punished. There would be correction unless they turned back to him, but they refused to turn back to him. And so there was correction, there was punishment. We know that Jesus came and the age of the church or the age of grace started. But for people receiving a prophecy in Isaiah's day, they didn't have the New Testament to use to help them interpret they only knew what they heard. They knew what they knew, which was, man, our life sucks right now. And here is Isaiah saying that there's this servant, this divine servant who will come and reign and rule, and they wanted it to be then. They wanted it to be right away. They didn't understand that that was millennial reign talk. They had no concept of it. We do. We understand that there's going to be a millennial reign. Christ will return. Sin will be judged. We will reign with him and then be with him for eternity. So just imagine what these Israelites were hearing at the time. They were in a place of feeling punished, feeling other, feeling just their life had been decimated, and then they hear this talk, and they want that Messiah to come and set them free and champion them right then. Well, the reason that we know that Jesus is the Messiah is because God's Word tells us so. 
And we know that he's the Messiah because also he's transformed us and saved us. And Jesus, right after the temptation, you guys remember when he was in the desert and the devil tempted him? Right after that, he went back to his hometown of Nazareth and he went to the synagogue, which was his custom. And he went there and they asked him to read a scripture. So here we go. We're going to look at Luke 4, verses 16 through 21. Luke 4, 16 through 21. It says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. By the way, I want to interrupt you right here. For those of you who say it's not important for you to go to church, uh, Jesus thought it was. Okay, sorry, moving on. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops right there. He doesn't read the whole passage. And there was a reason. Verse 20 says, And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What? Mind blown. These people are sitting there, and at first it says, if you were to read on, it says that they accepted everything he said, all of his gracious words, and then they started talking amongst themselves. Wait, isn't this Joseph's son? They started grumbling, they started complaining, and Jesus began to dialogue with them, and by the end of the conversation, it says they took him out to the edge of the town to kill him. But I don't know if you guys remember, but Jesus just walked by them. I don't know if he was invisible. I don't know if they just went dumb for a second. I have no idea. But he just walked by them undetected is what Scripture says. It wasn't his time. But my point in reading this is that Jesus identified himself as the Messiah at his hometown. And this isn't the only passage where he quotes this uh, these scriptures from Isaiah. I think of um, in John that, I don't know if you guys remember that John the Baptist was discouraged. I believe it's John. Uh, anyway, John the Baptist was discouraged. He was in prison and he sent a message to Jesus saying, if this is you, please tell me. In other words, are you the Messiah? John was discouraged. He was discouraged. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, go back and tell John, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, and the poor are preached the gospel. He quoted the same passage of Scripture to once again confirm He's the Messiah. And he was doing the works of the Messiah. I think that's amazing. 
I said that Jesus didn't read the whole passage from Isaiah. He stopped right before he said something about the day of vengeance. Did you notice that? He stopped after he said, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your, in your hearing. Right before that, he said to proclaim the year of the Lord's uh, favor, and he stopped. Why did he stop? Because he was about to tell them, this passage is absolutely fulfilled in me right now. So he couldn't talk about the second coming of Christ because that had not yet been fulfilled. So he had to stop there in the middle of that passage to say, look, I am the fulfillment of the first part of this scripture. And we know that he is the fulfillment of the second. It just hadn't happened yet. It wasn't eminent. I love that. You know, um, when it talks about the, the day of the Lord's favor, that's talking about his first advent coming, right, as a human being, coming incarnate. That's talking about his first advent. And when it talks about the day of the vengeance of the Lord, it's talking about judgment. It's talking about his second advent, his return, Christ coming again, the second coming. Now, people say, why, why does Jesus got to be like that? When he comes back, I mean, you know, I mean, I get it. He's going to make everything perfect. Everything's good. It's going to be Edenic, right? Like Eden, the, the, everything's going to be renewed, and people are all going to get along. The nations are going to get along. And, but why does he have to be so mean? Well, because if he is going to reign and rule over the earth, and everything is going to be perfect, then that means all those that oppose that have to be dealt with. And God has promised the day of judgment. God has promised people are aware of it, and they have every opportunity to come to Jesus. So, anyway, we see this passage uh, more than in just Isaiah. We see it in the New Testament as well. Let's take a deeper dive into Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord. Who's that? The Holy Spirit of God. Who's Yahweh? Who's Yahweh? God, Father God, is upon me. Who's me? Jesus. So we have here three in one called the Trinity, because the Lord has anointed me. The word for anointed means is Meshach, which is Hebrew for Messiah. The, uh, the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. Anoint, when we talk about anointing, what it means in the Old Testament is oil would have been poured over the head or the beard or smeared on the head. And it was a sign of being separated unto the Lord and blessed for God by God to do a specific thing. We sometimes use the word anointed differently nowadays. It's not exactly the same, but it still means the work of the Holy Spirit. It means something that's set apart for the work of the Holy Spirit. If you come up and ask for prayer and we anoint you with oil, we're, we're anointing you with oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Does that make sense? All right. 
Now, when Jesus says, or when it says in Isaiah, that he was anointed to bring good news to the poor, what does that mean in light of the scripture in Luke that says that Jesus came for all people, not just the poor? So is this wrong? What does it mean? Right in Luke 2, 10 through 11, what we know is the Christmas story, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So Jesus came for all people, for all men, not just the poor. Well, Jesus does come for all who believe. But what we will see over the next two weeks, we're, we're continuing this, this message next week, is that Jesus has a special place in his heart for the outcast. There's a special place there. And here in Isaiah 61, the poor refers to the bankrupt soul without Christ. The bankrupt soul. And yes, it also, it also applies to those who are poor physically, that don't have enough, that don't have food, that are in need. But the greater meaning is the bankrupt soul without Christ. So it does speak to everyone because everyone is that bankrupt soul before they come to Jesus. I know I was. I know I experienced it. Jesus coming into my life, changing me, transforming me, was a radical thing in my life. And I made so many mistakes after that. I was not perfect. I just made so many mistakes, and I loved Jesus, but I just was selfish, self-centered, and God is so faithful. He's so faithful to take us through a journey to change us over a period of time, to transform us. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you grateful that God is changing you? You're not who you want to be, but you're not who you were. You're in process. Yeah. Praise the Lord. One of the reasons that I felt it so keenly, I think, is that the way that I was raised was kind of rough. You know, my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, my mom was a believer, but she was in this codependent relationship. I was stuck there my whole childhood. And there was just all kinds of abuse and crazy things. And so what was contrast, there was such a huge contrast between my home life and what I was going through and what Jesus did for me. Huge contrast. I could see it. I could experience it. I knew that he loved me. I knew that he died on a cross to save me and to transform me. And even though I knew that and I was appreciative, I was still dumb as a stick sometimes. I chose sin. I chose my own way. But I just thank him for his grace. So yes, Jesus did come for all people, but when it talks about the poor, it talks about those who are poor and uh, bankrupt at heart. The Messiah is anointed to bring the good news of the gospel to the poor. You know, sin made you poor. And I'm not talking about financially. Although maybe. 
Sin made you poor, and the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy you. Did you know that? But the good news, the good news that this is talking about is God loves you. God will forgive you. God will give you a new heart. God will restore you. God will be with you through everything and every moment. There's good news. There's good news for the poor. Moving on, it says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to bind up. It means literally to bandage and put back together the brokenhearted. He will heal the broken parts of your life. And today, tonight, you may feel like your life is splintered and ravaged beyond recognition. And how could anyone put that back together? And yet God is in the business of doing that very thing. And you don't have to fix anything to come to him. You just come as you are. You come as you are, you surrender to him, and he begins the work in you. Do you have something in your life that feels splintered? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it's your health. He will heal the broken parts of our life. He says to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You know, I mentioned that there's a dual interpretation and part of this was for the uh, millennial reign. Well, this is one of those that is not for the millennial reign, but it's actually for after Christ was crucified. I don't know if you guys remember in the book of Peter where it says that Jesus went to Hades and he preached to the captives and he took them to heaven as first fruits in heaven. This is probably referring to that passage, but it's also referring to proclaim liberty for you and for me. We are, we were captive in sin, held absolutely in prison, bound, bound by the power of sin and the law, we were stuck there. But as we receive Christ and that transformation happens, then we are set free. Not just forgiven, as I mentioned earlier, but given power over sin. And right now you maybe see, Pastor, if I have power over sin, why am I still struggling with this, that, or the other thing. And Pastor Derek talked about it on Sunday, and he did such an amazing job, and he reminded us. He reminded us that as long as, I think he said, as long as my feet are on this earth, I will be battling sin. Waging war against sin. And that's all of us, but we don't give up. We continue to pray, we continue to seek the Lord, and he brings those victories in our life. Amen? And then the phrase, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the advent of Christ. What favor it was from God to say, I'm sending my son. 
I'm sending my son because this is the only way to save. This is the only way to reconcile, to restore. And then it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. We've talked about that. And it refers most likely to the judgment of Christ in the second coming. I think it's so interesting. If you look at that verse, verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God. That comma literally represents thousands of years. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we had the advent of Christ. He came as a wee babe. God incarnate. And then he was crucified, rose again, right? But then it says, and the day of the vengeance of our God. And that's the beginning of the millennial reign. That's judgment time. That's thousands of years from the first advent of Christ. The people in Isaiah's day didn't get that. We have the privilege of having the New Testament and seeing, oh yeah, there are two comings. There are two comings of Christ. They didn't. Isn't that amazing what God does with his word? One person thinks it's amazing over here. Thanks. <laughs> Let's read the rest of this. It says, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn. In, oh, did I skip something? No. To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. So rather than ashes being put on their head in mourning, there would be a time when they would have a beautiful crown or a headdress in celebration of their liberation by the Messiah. And yes, they wanted it then. It wasn't time. When the fullness of time comes, God will bring or send Christ back. The oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. These clothes for celebration rather than the sackcloth that they were wearing. Sackcloth and ashes. You guys remember that throughout Scripture? A way to show you were mourning. Ashes on your head. Wearing sackcloth or ripping your garments. God says, I'm going to replace all that. You're going to have a reason to rejoice. And it says that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Again, we get a picture of Eden here. We get a picture of this Edenic thing, calling people oaks. What a beautiful picture. Strong oaks, the planting of the Lord, for his glorification, for him to be glorified. This makes me think of a couple of scriptures. One of them is in Psalm 1, remember? It would be like trees planted by rivers of living water that will bear fruit in its season. So God has used this picture before, and here we see this grove of oaks that his people will be. It's beautiful. You know, without Christ, 
as I've mentioned, we're all impoverished. Because of the sin in our lives, we were broken and held in captivity. And that makes me think of the scripture that says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're here tonight and you think, man, no, I, I've never sinned. I'm okay. If you think, you know, I'm, I'm living by my own righteousness. Nobody tells me what to do. I make my own rules. I do my own thing. I want to tell you right now that the God of creation says all have sinned. None of us are perfect. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And tonight, you can be made whole. You can be forgiven. You can be set free. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I'm amazed. I said this earlier about how we as Christians think that we're supposed to be perfect or look perfect, even though we all know we're not. We're supposed to look that way, and so we walk around with plastic faces on and we uh, don't tell people the stuff we're really struggling with, so they don't pray for us because they don't know. And we just walk around like that, judging everybody else who happens to be transparent or that's really going through something. And that is so crippling to the body of Christ. It's so crippling because really we're supposed to be real with one another and have people that pray for us, that love us, we're supposed to be able to talk about what God has brought us through. But if we never talk about what we're going through, how can we really tell people what God has brought us through and give glory to his name? Maybe you're like me. You're one of those people that always wants to impress. You always want to, you know, look like you've got it all together or whatever. I want to tell you right now that that is such an enemy to your growth as a believer, we got to deal with that stuff. We've got to stop trying to be man-pleasers and instead just concentrate on pleasing the Lord. And I know, I'm going to tell you a story here. Somebody told me recently that they noticed two um, people come in to the church that in their mind was obviously um, homosexual. They were, um, you know, you could just tell. And they came in and they were acting it. They were holding hands. And, and um, the thing is, is that nobody talked to them. Now, you probably would have if you would have met them or had a chance to, but the people that happened to be around that day they all just looked away uncomfortably because they didn't know what to do. And they just didn't talk to them. And the reason that that is so troubling is that Jesus died on the cross for those people. And they needed to know that they were loved. They needed to know that they were loved and we could reach out to them. And I, I understand there's a whole myriad of issues you're thinking possibly. Well, I do want to reach out to them, but I don't want them to feel like they're going to be comfortable here because we teach against that, and so maybe they won't be comfortable, and so uh, do I have to tell them? What do I say? Do I tell them, hey, don't touch that person? Oh, my goodness. You know, what do I, and we get all wound up. 
But I want you to tell, the, tell you that Jesus takes care of all that stuff. And they'll come in, they'll hear the gospel, maybe get born again, and then it's going to be a messy road. Absolutely. And it was messy with you. It was messy with me. It still is. I am a freaking mess. But God is faithful. So we as Christians can't look at situation of people that are in sin or people that are living lifestyles that we don't agree with or that we think are anti-biblical. We can't look at people that, that smell or we know that they're, they come in and they're intoxicated. We can't look at them and treat them as other. We treat them as human beings that Jesus loves because he loves us. And as soon as we start thinking that we're perfect and our default behavior is no longer love and mercy, but becomes judgment and standoffishness, there's a problem. I think of Luke 5.32 where uh, it says, I did not come to save the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Yeah, he called sinners to repentance. That's why he died. That's why he came, died, rose again. That's your message. That's your message. Jesus died for you. I don't care what you look like, smell like, act like. Come and hear the gospel. Come and hear the good news. Amen? So Isaiah 61 shows us the heart of God toward those that are marginalized and hurting. Next week, we're going to look at specific instances from the book of Luke where Jesus ministered to the outcasts. But I want to share just one story with you from Luke chapter 5. Turn in your Bible, please. This is a man who was totally alienated he didn't belong. He was a Jew, but not wanted or respected by the Jews. He worked with the Romans, but, but was despised by them. He was other. Luke 5, verse 27. It says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That Levi, the tax collector, was Matthew. It was Matthew, the disciple. Levi was a man who was made rich by stealing from his own people, by charging exorbitant fees to make himself rich and taking their hard-earned money. They hated him. And they hated him also because he worked for the Romans, and he was such a sellout for working for the Romans. 
And the Romans despised him because he was a Jew. He lived a life of scorn and ridicule. He was not even welcome at the synagogue. He was unclean. Unclean. Jesus not only sees him and reaches out to him, but asked him to serve him and to be part of his inner circle. Mind-blowing. This crusty, old tax collector, this guy who Jews despised and Romans despised, why would Jesus choose him? I have a question for you. Why would Jesus choose you? You know what's amazing? Is that Levi didn't have to get the rough edges knocked off first. He didn't have to learn how to talk. He didn't have to use the right Christianese. He was accepted as he was. He probably dropped a few bad words. Maybe. If you've been a believer for a while, you don't like that. You don't like bad language. God probably stripped it off of you and you have no intention of talking that way. But I want to tell you, you can't be afraid of a few bad words if you want to be around people who don't know Jesus. You want to bring them to the Lord. You can't be afraid of the F word. You can't be afraid of a few bad words because those words aren't going to hurt you. But we can become so self-righteous that we forget who we were. We forget where we came from. But we don't have it all together. At least I don't. Maybe you do. Well, I'm out of time. I have a lot more scriptures to go through, but I just want to read a few scriptures. You guys can follow along quickly because I'm going to probably read about seven scriptures or you can just listen. It's up to you. Um, I, I put some scriptures down that really speak to how much God and Jesus care about those who are burdened and who need help. And maybe tonight you are someone who needs help. You're someone who needs help with something in your life or with your attitude or, or something. And so I just want to share these with you. The first one is Matthew 11, 28 and 29. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you need rest tonight? By the way, if you have to learn from Jesus, that means you haven't got it all figured out yet, and you're making mistakes along the way. He invites us to cast our worries on him. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Are you casting them? Are you giving them to Jesus? Have you stopped praying? How many times a day do you need to pray to cast your anxieties on him whenever you have them? He invites us to come to his throne and ask for mercy and grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. 
and you have a time of need, you can with confidence draw close to God. I love Psalm 61. It says, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And the last one I want to share tonight, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Why do you need to be sincere and genuine about what you're going through and asking God to change you? Because as he changes you, he will use your testimony to help others. Mm -hmm.